Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hello, my dark darlings. I'm Arkea, and this is the Something Scary Podcast. To our veteran listeners and those just voyaging into the dark with us for the first time, welcome. There are few things more horrific and damaging than high school. Sure, some teenagers have a good time, but for others, the anxiety, social pressure, and impossible standards can be soul-crushing. It's also a time when you're at your most vulnerable. Being open to influences from ill-intentioned humans, to demons, to evil entities, you're lucky if you make it out alive. First, can't stop the horror. Followed by, don't bite the hand that feeds you. Then, saving souls risks your own. Finally, in our featured story, reflections of a dead person. I receive hundreds of creepy story submissions every single week. And of those, the scariest ones make it into our podcast. Along with the story that we've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com slash snarled. If you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at somethingscary@snarl.com. If you'd like to support Something Scary, then consider joining our Patreon. As a patron, not only can you help the show and see ad-free episodes, but you can also be a part of the horror and hear your name featured in one of our podcasts or weekly video stories. Visit patreon.com slash snarled. So, want to hear something scary? High School Horrors Sometimes you know things you wish you could forget, but if you don't share your knowledge, everyone is doomed. Like in this story inspired by Anthony Ortiz. Growing up in Louisiana, I was surrounded by mystic tales. My whole family dabbled in voodoo, but I finally starting to think for myself and decided it wasn't real. I just assumed it was the equivalent of lighting sage, but in reality, it had no real value. So, when my dad moved us to Chicago for a year for his work, I was relieved to be away from all that mystical foolery, especially since I was starting high school. I quickly made friends with three amazing classmates, Kendra, Riley, and Ashvi, were typical 14-year-olds who had known each other since they were babies, but they welcomed me with open arms. After several sleepovers, I finally felt like part of the group. One night, when we were scrolling through TikTok, 
we found a page for Mystic Molly, a lady in her early 20s who was spouting off about voodoo, spells, and how to summon the dead. Based on my upbringing, I knew everything she was saying was wrong. Sure, there were half-truths in the videos, but she was clearly someone who had read a pamphlet on conjuring instead of respecting the craft. The others started out wanting to make voodoo dolls. I didn't speak up, mostly because they were doing it wrong and nothing would come of it. The next sleepover, they tried drawing sigils, a symbol believed to possess magical powers. Again, I told them it just wasn't my thing. They were using a protractor from our geometry class at one point, so trust me, I was not worried. Then, during our last sleepover, we watched Mystic Molly as usual, and the subject of Papa Legba came up. My stomach sank. From what I knew, Papa Legba was the middleman between the living and the dead, and he decides who can speak to the dead. He also has the power to create illusions for the souls in hell to make them suffer. Now it was time to speak up. This was not the entity to mess with. When I told them to stop and explain that they were going too far, they kicked me out of the room, giggling. We'll wait outside until we're done conjuring up the dead, they sang with glee, still chuckling when they locked the door. They truly thought it was just a game. I ran to the bathroom and called my mother. One mention of Papa Legba and my mom told me to do whatever I could to stop them, to get Kendra's parents and that she was on her way over. So I told Kendra's parents. They started banging on the door for the others to open. They could hear laughing and chanting on the other side, seeming to ignore the request to unlock the door. They must have finished the ritual then, as everything went silent. There was a sudden, deep, guttural laugh, swiftly followed by the screams from my friends. One of them was trying to unlock the door from the inside, but it wasn't working. Kendra's parents returned to pushing and yelling against the door. Bodies seemed to be banging against the walls inside. It sounded as though millions of people were in the room, all screaming in unison, like they were being tortured. As soon as my mom arrived, she ran upstairs, saying something under her breath that allowed the door to open. I saw Riley and Ashvia in the corners of the room, catatonic. There was an unnaturally tall man whose face was contorted into a smile. It looked like there was a portal in the center of the room where screams echoed out of. My mom started saying more words I hadn't heard her use before, and she cut her wrist with her ring. To be clear, she wasn't conquering the demon with her powers. Instead, it was like she was pleading with Papa Legba. Instantly, Papa Legba disappeared along with the portal. Riley and Ashby came too, The only thing left of Kendra were her vocal cords and a tongue that lied on the bed. Within a couple of days after the horrific event, my family moved back to Louisiana. Kendra's parents blamed me for what happened and never recovered from their shock or grief. 
I heard Riley and Ashby checked into a mental health facility and have never checked out. Then, one year to the day, my mother disappeared. Everything has a price. She bravely gave her soul to save two innocents. And I went from the teen who didn't believe in voodoo to the woman who now follows her mother's footsteps and dabbles in devilry with awareness and respect. You can find me on TikTok where I educate everyone on the workings of real magic. Thank you so much, Anthony, for inspiring this story for us. And in particular, the story that shows that you should respect the magic that is in the world and those that work it. Listener, are there any family traditions or teachings that you've tried to avoid? Have you tried any of these rituals that you can find on social media? How did that work out for you? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. We all know those miserable adults that shouldn't be around kids and teens. The ones that are hungry for power and could do the most damage. Like in this story written by Janine. Everyone knows that for something to become an urban legend, there needs to have been an origin story, and it has to carry a semblance of truth. That they often act as a cautionary tale, like the Hookman and the Lover's Lane murders in Texacana. Well, what if I told you my high school was the reason for another one of these legends? My hands shook as I held the tray in front of lunch lady Merrill. She brandished the spoon at me as the gloopy brown slop dripped off it and back into the tray. Meatloaf. So that's what it was impersonating. But please, I stammered, not wanting that anywhere near my mouth, but fear of antagonizing Merrill overriding my gag reflex. She grinned and slopped a nasty-looking helping onto my tray, and I rushed away fast. You had to endure this little carry-on each day in order to achieve what we were all there for. Peace. If you made any sort of patronizing remark, you would incur her wrath. Her lip would curl, and she would mutter under her breath, just loud enough for you to make out. Next time, you'll be in the meatloaf. 
Of course, we all knew she couldn't do that. I mean, you can't go around killing and cooking people just because they don't want a sloppy Joe, right? Still, it was kind of weird that the very day after Slater McKenzie dissed the tacos, he didn't show up for school. Extra weird, since he was the star linebacker, and they had a game that night, which he also didn't turn up for. The next day, Meryl seemed especially chipper as she ladled the hamburger patty onto my tray. She even managed a shadow of a smile when Eden asked for the plant-based version, producing a patty from under the counter that looked suspiciously exactly the same as the others, except for some extra carrot-looking bits in it. That was my freshman year. By the time I was a senior and still a wreck in the lunch line, three more students had mysteriously vanished. Whispers in the hall spoke of runaways, satanic cults, alien abductions, but no one knew for sure what happened to them. But there was a definite pattern. For a few days after it was discovered someone hadn't come to classes and didn't make it home that day, the standard of food in the cafeteria rose inexplicably. People guessed it was because the faculty felt bad for us, that they couldn't control teens disappearing, but they could control nicer lunches for a few days. Those hot dogs after Shauna Larson ran away were the best I'd ever had, tasted just like pork. Faculty and students came and went as is normal for a busy inner city high school, but Merrill was always there, a permanent fixture never missing a day. When other members of staff caught colds and we needed a sub, Merrill remained, seemingly healthier than all of the other adults and immune to illness, almost as if she had an excellent diet. Of course, nothing lasts forever, and even all good lunches must come to an end if the meat is procured by nefarious means. I guess, despite working in a school, Meryl didn't always do her homework. She was enraged when the new girl, Lily, snobbily turned up her nose and suggested she'd rather eat weak old garbage than the crap Meryl was brandishing. I saw her lick her lips and her eyes flickered to the open kitchen door behind the counter where I could just make out the gleaming meat grinder on the pristine worktop. The news broke that evening, apparently, as well as students, there had been a spree of homeless people just vanishing over the past few years. It had garnered the interest of a local homicide cop who had placed a rookie down there undercover. Now they were missing and people were on high alert. I guess Miro didn't watch the news though. Maybe she'd gotten careless, but that next day, someone broke a tooth eating the meatballs. That's because she bit down onto another tooth. Let me clear that up. There was a tooth in her meatball and it wasn't hers. There was a heck of a commotion and a full investigation ending with Meryl being marched out by the cops. They'd found her in the kitchen, desperately trying to mince what was left of the rookie cop in between shoving handfuls of offal into her mouth. She was still chewing on an eyeball when they cuffed her. She had no defense. She just 
really disliked it when students dissed her cooking. So she gave them something different to eat. People. She'd been a cannibal for years. Apparently it's good for the skin, lots of iron. But she'd only killed homeless people as she'd presumed that they wouldn't be reported missing. I guess the teens who disappeared really were just families that moved away. So yeah, the urban legend about the crazy lunch lady who punishes rude students by putting people in the meatloaf? At my school, it was true. And I still have the broken tooth to prove it. Thank you so much, Janine, for writing this story for us. Did you ever have a lunch lady who seemed to enjoy her job a little too much? Did you ever stop to consider what might be in the Sloppy Joe? And if, just maybe, it could have been Joe? No amount of preparation will prepare you for when you're dropped into the jaws of the beast. Like in our next story, written by one of our featured writers, Drew Dougal, OWAN Writers Workshop finalist. Professor Red Wilmington was a woman of her word. So when she stood in between a group of shivering scholars in wetsuits, pointing to the center of an ancient grave map for Lake Naring, we knew she wasn't there to waste our time. The graveyard is here she said in a nasally voice, a wiry finger tapping the center of the map. The mausoleum lies in the heart of the cave. It's 50 feet down in the depths of the lake. The students at the Academy of the Unknown were accustomed to studying things out of the ordinary, but this was a coveted program. Professor Red did what most wouldn't, took you into the field for real hands-on training. Most assumed she was taking her students to crypts or touring cemeteries discussing cadavers. Many had no idea what was needed for soul extractor study. No one knew how to extract souls from a corpse. Janine Powell? Her voice pierced my ears like a high-pitched drawl. The waking moon is upon us. What is the protocol for once we get into the water? The, uh, protocol. Um, right. Give me a minute. I tried my best to hide my nerves. All eyes were on me as I looked at the map. Spinning it around in my nearly frozen fingers, I stared up at the surrounding caves. They took on a ravenous shape this time of night, shooting high into the sky like gargoyles, encircling the dark, swampy lake in front of us. The reporter said no creatures could survive in this part of town, but Professor Red knew better. We all did. Miss Powell, Red shot me a cold look. Right, I fidgeted. So we stay tied together and jump off the cliff into the mouth of the lake. Then we lower ourselves down slowly, letting the gravity pull us toward the tide. When we reach the tide, we let it pull us down to the, um, the cave's entrance, to the tomb, uh, and then, and then we, we, I was blanking. 
The moon was parting through the top of the caves. From a distance, the gnarls of something hidden were beginning to grow louder. It was only a matter of time before the countdown would begin. Who can help her? Professor Red said urgently, looking at the group. There were two twin brothers, Rugby and Fred, short, stodgy, and trying their hardest to appear confident, but failing in every way. Then there was Serena. She was bright, a bit witchy. Right now, she was silent like the rest, concerned about the rustling noises coming from around her. Then finally, a small voice from behind, We slip in one by one so the tide doesn't seep into the tomb. I stepped aside as my classmate, Marva, stepped up. She was no more than four feet, unassuming but astute. Correct, the professor shot us an agitated look. And if you haven't realized by now, half of the battle tonight will simply be staying alive. Let's go. Then, almost as quickly as she started, Professor Red began moving toward the lake. Hurry. There are things in these parts that no one tells you about. Things they lie to you about. Her voice was telling. Time was getting near. Once the moon is at its highest, we need to all be in the water. The professor continued, tightening the rope that connected us. This is not a time for slip-ups. I'm not dying tonight, and you have to believe that neither are you. We all turned. Something was crunching the leaves behind us. Zip up if you haven't. Headgear on, Red instructed. And do not look behind you. Something was beating rapidly. The moon was almost above the caves. There was another flurry of steps. Something large was coming our way. A scratching noise, a desperate clawing. Something was trying to get out. The sounds continued until a smell I couldn't have prepared for crept into my nostrils. Ugh, what, what is that? I gasped. A sewer-like stench made our eyes water. I held my nose, but as we got closer to Lake Naring, the smell was more potent. Something was rotting around us. Oh my God. Marva trembled. I followed her eyes. Three six-legged beasts stepped out towards us. Nearly 10 feet tall, wild red eyes, and a chest cavity that had been ripped open, a bloody heart dripping outside of their chest. I clamped my hands over my mouth, tailing Professor Red. Start the countdown now, she yelled. We jump in 10 seconds. We race to the edge, beasts pacing behind us, gnawing at the ground a few steps from our feet. 10, nine, eight, We yelled in unison, clasping hands, quickly filing into formation. I could see the lake clearly now, a ten-foot jump. More beasts appeared, all shapes and colors, surrounding the water's edge, rising out of the ground, their hearts pounding at a sound that could nearly shatter our eardrums. I looked up. The moon was almost at its peak. Seven, 
six, five. The water is changing, Marfa yelled, incredulous. What is this, Professor? I stared down. She was right. Lake Naring was turning a wine color red. Is that blood? Is that blood in the lake? Marva yelled, repulsed. I can't. I can't do this. She was panicking. Four, three, two. Marva, come on. We have to go, I yelled. The beast's breath was nearly upon us. One. The moon reached its peak as Professor Red hurled her body down into the mouth of the lake pulling all of us down one by one. And just as my body left the ground, the rope snapped behind me. Janine! Marfa screamed. No! I yelled, reaching for her. Her tiny frame was devoured by a beast with bloody fangs. It was the last thing I remember before I hit the dark, bloody water and was knocked unconscious. Thank you so much, Drew DeGaulle, for writing this wonderful tale for us. I know you're probably just like me and want to know what happens next for this soul extractor study. Would you have signed up for this class? At what point would you have just left to seek additional help? For many people in high school, it can be tough to fit in. Sometimes you do all that you can to remain invisible, but other times you may discover just the thing to make you a part of the crowd. This story comes to us from Jennifer Coates, our featured writer for this week's episode. The principal asked Chica to clean out Khadijah's locker. It had been a week since the funeral and Khadijah's mother hadn't come to pick up the belongings. There had been a party. The cops had shown up and everyone ran. Khadijah took a shortcut, fell into the river, and now she was gone. It took only a minute for Chica to scoop Khadijah's belongings into her own backpack. At first glance, everything seemed normal about the locker. All Khadijah had left was an AP statistics textbook, a tube of bright red lipstick, and a mirror hanging on the inside door. After a moment, Chica moved to close the locker until she heard a voice. What lovely skin, the voice cooed. Chica squinted into the locker, shadows nearly swallowing the locker whole. She stilled, trying to find the source of that eerie voice, certain she had misheard. Then the voice spoke again. What a beautiful girl. The voice was sweet, no louder than a whisper, oddly familiar. Almost like Khadijah's voice, but Chica couldn't be sure. They weren't friends, though people like the principal always assumed they were. Chica didn't have friends like Khadijah did. But in their chilly Maryland town, their similar ebony skin and midnight eyes stuck out. In fact, when Chica would pass Khadijah in the hallways, 
chatting with her large group of attentive blonde friends, Chica sometimes daydreamed that she and Khadija were long-lost sisters. They both wore their hair natural. Khadija always had hers tucked neatly behind a pristine silk scarf. A scarf she wore to match the other girls. Neat, like Khadija's locker. Neat in all the ways that Chica was not. The shadows in Khadija's locker suddenly gave way to a pristine, folded, blue and white silk scarf. It was beautiful. Better than any of the other ones she had seen Khadija wear, Chica's fingers itched to touch the fine silk. A sensation, like invisible hands, came over her palms. Chica reached in, curling the scarf around her palm. It would fit you so nicely. Try it on, that soft voice suggested. How could Chica refuse it? Even as her skin prickled, she knotted the scarf around her neck. Though it was silk, it felt heavy on Chica's neck, like a paperweight on her collarbone. Chica looked up at the mirror and almost screamed. She didn't just look like Khadija. In that moment, she was Khadija. The scarf somehow warped her skin, transformed her face. Chica tried to pull at the scarf. It wouldn't budge, locked tight like an iron necklace. Blood bubbled in her throat. It was suffocating her, snuffing her out. Chica gave it another tug and her elbow cracked against the mirror. The scarf slid off of her neck and in the now cracked glass, Chica saw she had her face again. Trembling, Chica left the scarf in the locker, twisting the lock and shutting the door tight. It was nothing, Chica told herself. She would wait for Khadija's mom to get the scarf. Two days passed before the locker started to rot. It was a curdling smell that took up the entire hallway, sour and imposing. A stench that followed the students from classroom to classroom. Chica tried to avoid looking at Khadija's locker on her way to math class, but she saw the unmistakable grime of shadows on its outer edges. She noticed a janitor and the principal trying to pry the locker open. Did you try the combination? The principal barked as students stopped to stare. It's stuck shut, the janitor told him with a grunt. The bell rang, clearing the hallway and Chica pressed nearer to the locker and its overpowering stench. Chica gagged as she got closer, then pressed a shaky hand on the lock. With one twist, it gave way, like it had been waiting to open just for her. Put me on and everyone will love you, that haunting voice promised from the dark. The shadows dripped from every dark crevice in the locker now, but the scarf hadn't been touched. It was still folded in the center of the locker, pristine, Khadija pristine. Chica ignored the chill that ran up her spine and she reached in once more. The scarf settled on Chica's neck and she didn't pull away from the weight this time. 
she let it wrap itself around her and breathed in. The hallway now smelled like lilacs, not like rot, but like perfection. Chica, would you like to come hang with us? A sweet voice called from next to her. Across the hall, Khadijah's blonde friends had watched Chica try on the scarf with wide smiles, their own silk scarves tight around their necks and wrapped in their hair. Chica had been noticed. She looked just like one of them. Chica's hand tightened the scarf around her neck as she moved to close the locker. Before the door shut, Chica caught her reflection in Khadijah's cracked mirror. She saw the face that she wore was definitely not her own. That face smiled right back at her, happy with the life it now possessed. This week's podcast stories were edited by Markia McCarty, Sarah Lukasiewicz, and Janine Pipe. Narration by Markia McCarty. Audio edited and mixed by Fitz Harris. Additional audio editing by Calvin Linderman. Art and graphics by Mari Carlson. Produced by Hannah Mullen and Markia McCarty. Executive producer, Gail Gilman. Music by Sapphire Sandalo and Calvin Linderman. If you'd like to support Something Scary and all the work we do, join our Patreon at patreon.com snarled. And if you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. Until next time, my dark darlings, sweet dreams. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.